Lights, camera, action. Coming into this movie, we see that, um, at least from IMDb, you hadn't worked on the previous two. So the first question, were you a fan of the two beforehand coming into this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to make movies and be a filmmaker from when I'm like two years old, <laughs> at, truly. And I was like a kid, maybe like you guys, of like, I only watched movies and I loved movies. And I grew up in an apartment in Queens next to a video store and I made it my goal of all of junior high school and high school to watch every movie in the store, like in a row. And sometimes they would rearrange the categories and the racks <laughs> and it would throw my entire process <laughs> out of whack. Um, so I watched everything. And I think, the first, I think the first Harold and Kumar probably came out when I was in high school or just in college. And I loved it. You know, it was subversive and I'm from the East Coast. White Castle is, you know, we used to eat there all the time and it takes place in Jersey. My parents were in Jersey when I was in college. And um, yeah, so I loved the first one. I loved the All in a Night and the, I loved how um, screwball and uh, raunchy and absurd, absurd and insane. It felt like it was like Stone or Monty Python or something. Um, so yeah, I really adored particularly the first one um, yeah. when I was a kid. And so, you know, I was sort of in, I, I went to college for a film and then I graduated and went to Los Angeles trying, trying to figure out how do you, like, how do you make a movie? Like, <laughs> what do you do? Like, do I have to write one and then get someone to pay for it? Well, let's learn how to write a movie. So I was doing that. Well, how do I make money? I was also making a little short film commercials and music videos anything that I could make I was little comedy videos with friends and um and after like maybe nine years of being um broke and frustrated and uh you know just it's hard to hold on to this yeah. dream and yeah. really feeling not a lot of success or momentum finally I made one little short film that became quite popular online and suddenly all these agents were calling me. I had tried for almost a decade to get anybody to pay attention to me. Every time I made anything, I would make a DVD and mail it to everybody or put it online and send out a link to any email address I could find and no one was interested. And then I made this one short that became successful, viral. I got an agent and the agent started sending me out to meet Hollywood producers and studio execs. I was 28 and, um, and maybe a year after, and they would send you scripts, you know, you read scripts and you say, yeah, that sounds good. Let me, I'll take the meeting and I'll try to get that job. And um, over the course of the year, I did that once or twice, maybe three times and I did not get the job, but I was learning, I was learning. And finally, uh, Harold and Kumar, that this, that the Christmas script came to me and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I like, I love those people. This is going to be a 3D, you know, 3D Christmas extravaganza. That's so subversive. I'm Jewish. That's good. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big, 
you know, big budget, like kind of expensive movie, and we're going to really shoot it in 3D and Neil Patrick Harris, I got to get this movie. I thought I could do something really cool with it. And I went in and I, I made like a sizzle reel, you know, and a big, I had a big pitch. That reel is online. You know, you can see it on my Vimeo page. I can send it to you. And, uh, and I got the job. I got the job. And I was, uh, and it was New Line. Those guys gave me my first job. They took a big risk. And um, yeah, and I was, I think, 28 or 29, which is fucking crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were going to say, how did you go on to be the director of that? So that's, that's crazy to kind of you get that script full to you and then it, it works out wonderfully. I was wondering, with a film where you already have the two films in place, what's it like for you as a director? Do you go in, do you try and put your own stamp on it or is the goal to kind of keep it as authentic to the first two and know that you're doing a great job with that? It was, I wanted to put my own stamp on it. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to, why I thought it would be a cool movie to make, you know, and it's a weird movie to make first because, you know, like, it's not like, um, you know, Hard Eight or Slacker, you know, it's, it's Harold and Kumar 3. Like it's a different thing. So I really wanted to try to put as much of myself, my visual sense, a sense of humor into it and what was really cool about the Harold and Kumar movies is that, um, you know, there wasn't a tremendous amount of filmmaking in the first or second one, you know, in the first one, there's an amazing tone and idea and the jokes are great. And it's just such a wild roller coaster. but there's not like a huge amount of, you know, visual panache or, you know, yeah. But I always thought those movies were like Hope and Crosby road movies or something, you know, they're going almost from, they're going from genre to genre or from set piece to set piece. And I thought, well, that's just so cool. And I read the script and I was like, well, look, you know, there's a claymation sequence and it's a big Christmas movie. You could do Christmas. There's also a musical number and there's gang Russian gangsters. And, <laughs> you know, there's, um, there's car crashes and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different movies in this one movie. And I thought it would be really cool to sort of, approach each set piece you know or each world you know and get a chance to make like six different movies in one movie to sort of you know put a lot of myself into it like that and that it was 3d and christmas i was thinking a lot about like william castle movies you know that william castle was like the low rent hitchcock in the <laughs> 60s he made movies like the tickler it was very gimmicky and he was a real showman like uh, barnum and bailey and, um, and, but his movies were not like, um, they were not subtle. He was a showman. It was like throw everything at the audience and get the audience involved and really trying to, you know, throw every trick in the movie as possible. I thought again, for first time filmmaker, there was a lot of boom to, um, to kind of um, be muscular, uh, throw a million ideas in there and make a lot of movies in one movie. Nice. With um, John Cho and Cal Penn, with you going in there, were they just immediately on board with kind of every idea you put out there because they haven't worked with you before, they've got the franchise there that they've been on a bit longer, or is it just click immediately and you go on to make the great movie that you do? No. Um, well, they were involved with the movie, obviously, and so was Neil. So the three of them were involved. And then John and Hayden, who had written the first one, invented it, you know, written the first one, 
written and directed the second one and then wrote the third one, even though, you know, the reason why I got the movie is because they wrote the third one and they were going to direct the third one, but they went off to go make an American Pie movie, American Pie Reunion. So they went off to yeah. do that. And so there was suddenly this whole movie that was ready to go. There was a, sh- a start date and the returning cast, their deals were done and there was a script. It wasn't, you know, perfect or finished, but there was a concept and the studio had money. They were ready to go. They just needed a director. So I basically walked into a project that was about five months away from getting shot. It was like being strapped to a rocket. And so I immediately got in there and started to work on the script with friends and add a lot of those 3D ideas and just add myself into, you know, what they had already created. And then I think that Cal and John were excited to come back to do the movie. I think that there was a little bit of hazing on me, you know, they seemed to, they took turns hazing me. (laughs) So sometimes Cal would be tough on me and John would be the nice guy. And sometimes John would be tough on me and Cal would be the nice guy. But I think that over time, and I was very young, but I think over time I earned their trust at least enough to see that I was trying to do something elevated and different than the last one. And once they, I think they got a sense of that, they got, they got excited. They were like, oh, yeah. cool. This isn't going to be like, this is going to be something new. And, and I think they also really loved the idea for this movie, which is that like, they're not friends. They're bickering a lot of the time. They're older. They're different. I think just that, which John and Hayden, you know, invented that idea of, you know, where these guys would be now. I think they loved playing those scenes, you know, being a little bit um, ornery with each other. That was fun. You think that helped, you said about getting like numerous films into one film, do you think that time difference they've had there with that little, they're that little bit older, do you think that helped with that as well? How do you mean, with them, with them being older? Yeah, because obviously in the second film, it obviously leads straight on from the first, so there isn't any time elapsed but in this one as you said they're a little bit older and they've drifted apart do you think that gave you a little bit more scope to try out different things maybe i think the 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 many different movies in one movie is more has to do with just the episodic structure of these kinds of movies you know all in a night you know we're going to go to seven different places and in the first one you know there's the drugs and the hillbilly (laughs) like you know they they still kind of do it you know but i thought that i could um instead of having it be like one tone or one look or, you know, I always love when shots or the camera or the filmmaker gets a laugh as well as the funny lines, you know, I was always trying to do stuff like that in this movie. I thought there were other opportunities where I could get laughs. And so things like, and all the 3d jokes were, were, were (laughs) like that, you know, like, you know, getting a shoddy in the face and the, the, there's a good thing in the, um, in the car chase, you know, where debris hits the lens and the actual camera lens shatters, which is a very meta fourth wall joke. <laughs> but to me, that stuff is very clever. And you can't do that stuff in a lot of movies. But in a movie this crazy, a Storner movie, yeah. like I just like smoking weed, like in a stone, I was like, oh, you, but here, not only can you do it, people are going to like love if you do a lot of that stuff. So be yeah. outrageous. So it felt very free. That's what I kind of mean. Yeah. From, from a sense of actually filming it, how much more difficult is it to film in 3D? Because as far as we're aware, we just see a picture of like you filming it with a camera. Is it 
a lot more complicated. Yeah, it was harder. Like, but even before that challenge, I mean, me, I had been making movies since I was in high school and I'd even been making, you know, very little bits of money making little things, you know, having graduated university and being in, in, in California. But I had never made anything be longer than 15 minutes before. You know, I was doing so much of it alone with the camera with friends or very small and music videos and things like that. So more, so like, yeah, like shooting something in 3D was hard, but like, I'd never shot anything that was longer than 15 minutes. Like the stamina of it, the crew was 200 people. Like it, it took, um, what, 40 something days. Like there were lots of challenges. I felt pretty confident about my ideas and um, jokes and images. I felt good about that stuff. But, um, but yeah, there were blind spots and it was challenging. The 3D stuff was particularly challenging because those it was you know there's two cameras not one you know it's kind of a whole rig and these were massive massive and heavy things and so for me and you can see it in my other movies particularly final girls but and some of my shorts um but like i love moving the camera and you know i love doing that i love to move the camera really be really um athletic with it this was made it really hard to do it and so the cameraman and I were always um, having conflict because I would want to, you know, move, go, we're going to push it there and do a joke with it and push it here and flip it around. And um, he would just say, no. <laughs> and I didn't know how to handle that. And maybe sometimes he was right. And sometimes he was just being a dick to a first time <laughs> filmmaker. But um, that was probably the hardest part of the 3D was how limited I was in terms of what I could do actually do with the camera so when you watch Harold Kumar I think I think you'll see a filmmaker with a million ideas um but the movie itself is weirdly static but the ideas are kind of like bleeding out of the edges of the film like all the visual effects 3d stuff you know or the music ideas are there's a million ideas in that movie but weirdly the camera is not moving so much it feels kind of classical which maybe in the end is kind of clever because I wanted it to feel like it was a warm-hearted Christmas movie, but filled with all of this obscene, godless, you know, subversive <laughs> stuff. But that the movie itself, the trick of it would be like at the end, you would feel actually warm and emotional and it would have that Christmas spirit, really. And that would be even more subversive that it could make you be like, there could be like naked nuns and cocaine babies but that it would all feel very sweet and good-hearted. And maybe there's something good that the movie's a bit more formal, even though that the mm. content is actually outrageous. I go back and watch it on Christmas Eve each year. It's been watching for the last three, four years. And I think it, it is brilliant in that it does feel like a Christmas movie. And then you've almost got the play on all of the Christmas ideas. Like you've got the snowstorm of cocaine, you've got the Virgin Mary, you've got <laughs> all sorts in there that you sprinkle throughout and it does still bring the perfect Christmas feel through. So that worked a charm. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, like a lot of that stuff was John and Hayden, like Virgin Mary, that was all in that script and that was so Harold and Kumar voice. I think, I think like White Christmas, I think that was probably their idea, but like the idea to put like that Bing Crosby song under it, like I was, like that was the sort of tone that I was going for, of like, okay, can you nice. do like a pretty raunchy, you know, um, 
uh, you know, not exactly high class kind of a joke, you know, cocaine. But can you make it beautiful? And can you make it kind of warm and emotional, you know, sentimental almost? Can yeah, you it looks very cool with this. Disgusting sentimental. And, and trying to always find places that you could overlap that tone felt like kind of clever. Those are my favorite parts of the movie too. Yeah, it's perfect balance. Did, is there, when there's a Christmas element to it, is there more or less pressure with that? Because obviously there's a lot of films set around Christmas. It's a, it's a big market, but then do you also feel like you can obviously, you've been able to get a lot of ideas in there? I liked it. I thought that was cool. I think it's always really helpful to have like a holiday or mm. um, a holiday or um, some familiar event kind of just as um like a texture, like a, like a gloss to put over your movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it sort of holds it all together somehow in mm. a way, or it just gives you immediately the tone, you know, like you're like, okay, so I'm, so the movie's got all these like kind of dirty, silly jokes, but we're going to give it this gloss of maturity and elegance. It's going to be a handsome movie that's got that <laughs> spirit. Like right, immediately, uh, got it. I got the tone. And you could like, so every shot is all Christmas out and it really helps to create that tone. I think if it wasn't a, if it was just, I mean, it took place on a Wednesday, you know, <laughs> in June, I think it would feel significantly, it would be harder to make it feel um, tonally unique. So I love yeah. that it was Christmas and I leaned into it really hard. It gave me the tone. You've got um, Neil Patrick Harris is in there again and contrasting the two, I guess his star power is probably a lot more come the third film than it is in the first one. Was there ever any resistance from him because it really does get pushed up a notch in this one as it does gradually throughout or does he just fully buy into it? Fully bought into it. He was amazing. <laughs> you know, he was amazing. Like he came in, he was awesome. I think we had him for only a few days, two or three days, but there was rehearsal period before that because he had to record that song and do the choreography and I love a musical number and always for me there's a musical and everything that I make and this is my first attempt and but yeah no he was like let's go crazy I, he loved he loved to subvert his his um persona and so he worked really hard on the musical because he's you know a showman and incredibly athletic so he was great about that and all of the silly jokes he never said no he wanted to push it farther he had a lot of great ideas himself you know David his his husband is in the movie also first yeah. time they had worked together he loved that uh he was easy and i remember that the shoot had been challenging the 3d was hard and you know the personality you know it was just hard. i was first time and all of it the hazing it was just tough but when he showed up and it was like musical musical all this stuff i remember that i remember the crew and me and everyone everything lightened up for a few days and it was hilarious <laughs> You know, it was just absurd, and the musical was good. Yeah, he was a beautiful part of that shoot for sure. Heaven and all this stuff. He was um, <laughs> doing the magic trick. Yeah, he was a blast, and he had no issue doing any of that stuff. He just seems to have a talent to making things like that acceptable as well and funny just to watch. Like if it, someone else is playing it, you might second guess it, but with him, you just buy in straight away. Something about the movie I think is effective, and I. I think it's, I, you know, it's not mean-spirited, these movies. No. None of them are mean-spirited, but I think 
particularly the third one is really not mean spirited, even though what happens in it is fucked up. Like, you know, in a regular movie, like putting a baby through that kind of physical <laughs> danger, you know, it would not be so funny. It would be uncomfortable, but somehow here it's delightful. And Neil does some pretty shitty stuff in that movie. I mean, <laughs> there is an attempted, I mean, maybe it wouldn't work anymore these days, but you know, it's pretty racy. But something about that, because we know that he's gay and we know that he's poking yeah. fun and because the movie, it just has a good spirited nature to it. And the Christmas yeah. helps. And I think for me, I'm always worried. I don't want to be mean to anyone or make fun of anyone or go, you know, I'm happy to be outrageous and subversive and irreverent and all of that anti-authority. I like that. But um, I don't need to be mercurial, you know? And mm. I think there's none of that in the movie, which is why we can get away with so much because it never is coming from a nasty place. And, um, and it's a magic trick. And I think that Neil obviously makes that stuff work just because of who he is. And that's what's so fun about yeah. it. As well as the familiar cast, you, you bring us some new faces. Danny Trejo being probably the standout one. How, how did that come about to get him involved? That was in my idea. Movie? I will take oh, full nice. credit for that idea. <laughs> that character was fully written to the script, but I remember just being like, again, just trying to subvert as many things as you could. The movies need it. It's so fun as an audience. And it was like, yeah, um, Harold's dad's going to be this like super intimidating, you know, Mexican dude. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I remember in my, in my pitch at the, that was part of the pitch was we got to cast Machete and we got to put him in like the most disgusting Christmas sweater. And that, <laughs> and that was the idea. It was, and that you know, using some pop culture references, and yeah, obviously that face is amazing. I thought that face would be incredible in three D. And but I just thought it was funny to put a person who is that intense and scary and dangerous, you know. And he is you know, now. He's got his taco shops. He's much more mainstream now. But then a decade ago. You know, I think it was Machete and Desperado. He was still like a character actor, <laughs> crazy guy. It was less family. And um, and he signed on. I, we sent him a picture that I photoshopped of him in a terrible Christmas sweater. And I think he got it and he was very funny on set. And I think he also like loved the idea, like Neil, of kind of inverting his public persona, poking some fun. Uh, so he got that joke. He was great. Think of the new characters, like people like Todd and Adrian. They're obviously they're Harold and Kumar's sort of new friends, and the audience could quite easily sort of distance themselves from them at the start because they kind of represent obviously those two drifting apart a little bit. But they got their own adventure in the film, and and are still really likable. How important was it to sort of keep them likable within the film? Super important. And there's a funny scene. Yeah, the best one is that it's like they each found surrogates for each other. You know, like, <laughs> no, no, not surrogates. They found, yeah, they found mirror versions of themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They found people who are worse than them. That was the idea. It was like Ghost of Christmas Future. So, like, Harold is a stick in the mud, and he finds someone who's, like, way worse of a stick in the mud. <laughs> Kumar is pretty irresponsible, and Adrian is, like, the least responsible. That And, yeah, and I love that scene when the car blows up after the car chase where they all meet they meet each other's like new boyfriends for the first time <laughs> yeah <laughs> jealous and it's awkward and that yeah it's kind of like weirdly romantic but not that is very funny they love doing that also i love i like that one but um 
yeah, making them likable was hugely important. Um, taking some of the pressure off of John and Cal to do all of the comedy was nice. And yeah. Some new characters in there. Uh, Tom Lennon, you know, I, when I was a kid, The State was like a holy grail for me. I loved watching that every day after high school. Um, and having him there was great. He was really easy and he was a great improviser and help and, you know, and help those guys. Meaning like he would improvise and those guys would sort of like, you know, follow his lead. And so there was really Bounce funny. Off it. Yeah. yeah, really funny stuff that was happening naturally because of him. And he was really helpful to me also. He, he knew I was a first time filmmaker. And so when there were things that were dicey, he would kind of like, you know, help me navigate or come up with like a fix if I couldn't, you know, think on my feet in some moment of crisis. Um, Amir, who plays Adrian, was a friend of mine. I had been doing a lot of um, short films and things for College Humor, which was a website that was doing a lot of comedy stuff in New York. And Jake and Amir was like a funny internet duo, if you know those videos at all. And I thought he was great. I thought he was so funny in real life. I loved those videos. And I thought, if you can just do that character you're doing in those Jake and Amir videos in this movie, maybe like you get famous and I'll have a friend on set that's like my age and is from my world. So this is <laughs> yeah. intimidating. So if yeah. we're here, we can just like huddle up in the corner and be like, this is crazy. How did we get here? And I, I pushed to get him cast. And it was, it was hard for both of us. You know, I think he was intimidated by it. And, but it was great at work that we would have lunches together and be like, this is fucking nuts. Do they know that? <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. And, um, and he was really funny. I, there was a lot more of him in the movie. I, I like, I leaned hardcore into that character. I was like, this is so <laughs> funny. Just make it all up and do whatever you want. I would do 30 takes with him. No one was paying attention. I was like, just, just try it again thinking I was going to have like my Zach Galifianakis moment with Amir. Like, I was like, I'm going to break a comedic genius. <laughs> and on set, we all felt like that. And then somehow when we were screening the movie, people just wanted to be with Harold and Kumar. No one really, like they liked the thing with the new friends, but no one wanted to be with them more. No. And so both yeah. of, they had great material, but they got sort of like, you know, not diminished, but, you know, balanced. With yeah. the other guys. Mm. NPH references in there says, I'll see you in the fourth one or something like that. Was that in place at the time of the Christmas one, or is it just hoping for the best of that that might happen? It was and... hoping for the I think it was hoping yeah. for the best. And it was like those meta those meta breaking the fourth yeah. wall jokes. It's just a funny thing. Um I was gonna say as well, you said obviously it being your first time as a director. How nervous were you when this eventually does get released? This your first big film and obviously there's a load of pressure on it just being Harold and Kumar so was that a big thing for you were you anxious to see how it did or did you know Harold and Kumar is going to do well good question how was I I think I was excited I think I was just really excited to be seeing posters and to be going to screenings and to get to do press you know I, I because I was like a kid who was like really young like really like three, four, I wanted to, I love movies. I wanted to make movies. I like was obsessed with being a director. And this was my, I directed things before, but I'd never gone on a press tour, you know, or done a Q and A, like it was not part of it or seen my name on a huge poster. And so I think that's what I remember is all of that stuff felt like they were just like little dreams kind of coming true. And it was just super exciting. And I was proud of the movie. Like I was, yeah. It was a weird thing because when it came out, everyone was like, hey, you want to do uh, 
some blah, 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 number three. I'd be like, no, no more of those. I don't want to just, <laughs> or stoner, fratty, bro stuff. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not like that. That this movie yeah. So I, I tried to course correct. Everyone thought that I was different than I am. But like, I remember that opening week or weekend going to many, many theaters and watching it. And it was great because the crowd was young and everyone was stoned. <laughs> and <laughs> seeing it in 3D, which was the, you know, now when you watch the movie, you can't see in 3D. We put so much work into all of the 3D shit. You can see where the shots are, at least. You can tell where the shots are, but like in when we were doing the editing post-production, it was so much more ideas and make it perfect and wear the glasses and there was so color correct. There was so much attention. And then people got to see it in 3D for, what, a month? But Because we me, were below 18 when it came out, so yeah, I couldn't get to see it in the cinema, cinema like that. But for me, when I would go, just the, that opening few weeks to theaters and watch stoned groups of friends <laughs> with their glasses on, watching it, like reaching out and whoa, like it was so satisfying. And I knew yeah. that it would be a limited amount, a limited experience, like that's not going to happen again. So, yeah. you know, really milk it. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> we both watched it again in the last couple of days in, in preparation for this and brought that Christmas feel for us as, as well as uh, just, just enjoying a great film. In September. So, I mean, <laughs> thank you for, for giving us your time today. I mean, yeah, we're not going to release this um, until Christmas. I've got a hat just to make it look <laughs> a bit more Christmassy at the time. But uh, thank you for giving us your time and uh, we really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, being into the movie. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. See you later, guys. Bye. Thank you for giving us your time today. Oh, no worries. Thank you. So, I mean, yeah, we just wanted to ask just some questions. We've been going through um, in advance, kind of, our favourite Christmas films ready for December. Bad Santa 1 and 2 being two of them. So, obviously, no one better to speak to than uh, someone that's been in both. So, great to speak to you today. No, thanks for having me. Glad that... uh... I think when we were doing Bad Santa, the first one, I don't think any of us really had any idea that we'd be, what, maybe 18 years later and still <laughs> talking about it. So uh, I think there was probably actually some worries as it was being made, whether it would ever even be released. Because, you know, like nowadays, it's the whole R-rated, you can make any season of movie R-rated, and it just happens now. But like back then, it was pretty touch and go with how people were going to view this. And uh yeah, to think that we'd be in this spot where people, so many people watch it every year and are still talking about it. I don't think anyone thought that. I mean, going all the way back, I mean, how did you get the role? Because I can't imagine you were eight years old looking through, looking for, for roles yourself. So how did you end up being Kid in Bad Santa? Well, it all, it like it started, I was probably about two, three years old and my parents tried to do the whole kind of commercial baby kid thing with me. So it start, I guess that's how most kids start. So I never got anything. I was not the cute commercial kid they were looking for, I guess. So I just went away and then I had a younger sister and they tried the same thing. And uh, I wasn't acting at all at that time. I was probably five or six and she went for a commercial audition and I just got dragged along because there was no babysitter. And they asked me if I wanted to audition. I ended up getting the part. So she's never really let me live that one down. So that's kind of how I ended up getting back into it. And then just auditioning. And uh, that audition process was the most 
kind of intense out of anything that I had ever done up until that point for sure. And probably still, there was like five or six auditions going back and forth between LA because I'm based out of Vancouver in Canada. Yeah. So they were auditioning all over North America for that thing. So to even get a look at it from the start, I was so lucky, but uh, I just, and Terry said this too, it's just, I had the look they were looking for and it just <laughs> fell right into place. Because I mean, we were thinking that, how did your parents react when they saw the script? Because I didn't know if it was as advertised or I imagine the first time. Oh, reading it was, it, it was, it was as advertised. <laughs> it was, uh, my family isn't exactly, is a little rough around the edges to begin with. So it's not exactly as though I hadn't heard anything, any language like that before, but it was, uh, it was more hearing like the volume of it. And of course at that age, my dad was the one who I was rehearsing with for all the auditions and everything. So it, once you've had your father hurl all that at you, having it hurled that by a stranger is really no problem at all. Because um, also, I mean, what was it like for you just being on a film set at that age? Because I mean, I don't know how much the director can kind of direct you outside of what you're already doing and. Is that just an intense thing in itself, being around all of these people, being told, be here, be there, that kind of thing? I think I was even, I was young enough at that point that I don't think, maybe if I was a few years older, it would have kind of hit me and you start getting to the point you're thinking. But at that point, realistically, probably my mindset was that I, eight years old, I get to spend a summer living in California. I got to go to Disneyland and stuff. So I think that was more kind of my mindset at that point. I wasn't, I don't know if I was necessarily old enough to grasp or no, I, I was old enough to grasp the role and the movie, but I don't think I was old enough to get into that kind of inside your own head level of cynicism where you start doubting yourself. I was too carefree at that point. So I think that being younger, weirdly might've even been better. Like it's less scarring and damaging having been eight than maybe a little bit older where you can process more of it. So imagine you, you've got to be pretty um, like thick skinned to do the role because as much as it is playing a part, you're still having all these things screamed at you throughout filming it. So was that never an issue with just- Not for me, I know for Billy it was. He was kind of, <laughs> it affected him I think more than it did me because he was always just profusely apologizing and never, re rehearsals, there was never any swearing. He always, which, to him, I don't know how he found a way to change that dialogue, even in rehearsal, <laughs> to take out all the uh, cursing. That's that's a feat in itself. But uh, I I I don't know. I was a pretty grounded kid. I could tell yeah. what was real, what wasn't. So it was uh, for me, it was no problem. But I know there was a lot of people on the outside looking in, and even on set who were kind of oh god, and my parents especially <laughs> too afterwards. It was all fun and everything while we were doing it. And then there was moments you, oh my God, what are people going to think of us as parents for doing this? But uh, no, it all turned out well, I think. Because the unrated version, I know, set the record for the most profanities ever in a Christmas film. So as well as doing well at, um, on how it was received, it broke all kinds of records there as well. And uh, I'm sure that's probably been sur surpassed now by other movies, but maybe not Christmas movies. We might still have no. the most in a Christmas <laughs> movie record, but I'm sure there's some other comedies out there that have just pumped them full of F-bombs even more than we did with that <laughs> one. Because we spoke to um, Devin Rattray, who was in Home Alone, and of course, when he finished it, 
his whole class could see that he was the kid in home alone kind of thing. And for you, I would imagine that your class, I would hope, wasn't going into the cinemas and seeing Bad Santa. So was there anything different for you afterwards in terms of going into school and that kind of thing, or was it just back in business? No, it's I've had like an exceedingly normal upbringing. It was my whole life has basically just been going to get to do these things and then being parachuted back into basically completely normal life. So I think that probably played an aspect in it as well. Maybe if it was a kids movie that was my first big thing that I did where everyone saw it, it might have completely changed and been a different experience. But uh I yeah, my, some of my friends definitely got found their way into the theater. I think we uh <laughs> Some people might have been giving us funny looks because I remember whenever it first came out, we got kind of a little family gathering together and we showed up for this R-rated movie and I had some friends. So my parents bringing in like four, like nine-year-olds <laughs> to this movie. And uh, so, yeah, don't know how that looked on them. <laughs> um, I saw an excerpt yesterday of um, Billy Bob's autobiography where he said if he could go back to like any time in his life, filming Bad Santa would be right up there as one of them. So was it particularly enjoyable to film was it that kind of atmosphere on set despite maybe some of the darker things that is being said during the film was it as enjoyable filming it oh i had a fantastic time uh i think it's one of those things especially when you're a kid on set maybe you're not going to get as accurate a representation of what everyone else is thinking and feeling because they're going <laughs> to put on the happy face when the kid's around but from what i saw from talking to billy and everyone involved with it it's it's I think it stands out for a lot of people. It's kind of one of the more fun projects that we've all worked on. Yeah. Then coming around to the sequel, I guess, did you hear any kind of rumblings ahead of time that was what was going to happen or did it all just kind of come at once and you get the call and was it any I, hesitation on your end to jump straight on? I, I had heard a number of times through the years. I'd heard from Billy. I'd heard from other people just reading stuff as well, but it, it was kind of at the point where the first time you hear it, it's like, oh yeah, it sounds good. And then each time you hear it, it become in your own mind, it becomes progressively less and less likely that it's ever going to happen where it's like the <laughs> fifth time. It's like, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, I've heard this story before, but it was, uh, I took, I actually straight out of high school, I took time off. I took four years off to go to university and didn't do any acting at all. So I just kind of wanted to focus on that. And then it was the day, I think it was two days after my last ever final exam for university, I got the call and they said, we have a script finally and we want to do it. We want to start shooting in a few months. So I was like, and I had always intended to get back into acting. I just wanted to take that time away to do something else. So for me, the timing could not have been more perfect. It was like, I'm finally done. And I couldn't tell you how excited I was to be done with university. <laughs> I was fed up after a year and a half of that. So to get that call, that quickly after was fantastic so i had no hesitation getting back into it moving when you when you go back onto the set all those years later does that i know you say when you take four years out and you're coming back to something that's so so big and was probably still revered in the same way it is now was there any sense of nerves from you were you worried about anything or did you just read the script think great let's do it well i, I read the script and said I mean, let's do it. Cause I think at that point it was cause I wanted to get back into acting as I hadn't done anything in a little while. So I think it could have been just about anything. And I, I would have been willing to get back into it to be honest, but uh, there was definitely thoughts about how's it going to work and just the chemistry. But I remember going down probably a couple of weeks after reading the script for the first time to have my first meeting with Billy again. And it was within 15 minutes. It was just like that 
back into the swing of things. So the chemistry was still there. So, uh, no, and we had a great time shooting it as well. He didn't need to censor himself the second time around either. No, no, no. <laughs> but, the, but the thing was, I was excited because I was eight years old whenever I did the last one. So I'm thinking, fantastic. Billy's, get, I'm 21 now. I get to go. We're going to be partying. It's going to be awesome. I can finally get the full experience. And then I showed up and he's like sober now and he's not drinking. And he's, <laughs> I, it's, I feel cheated. I, I felt robbed of a bit of the experience. Didn't manage to get the full Billy Bob Thornton night out experience. No, I didn't. Um, no, I didn't. Well, I guess the second time as well, you're understanding the jokes more than you would have when you're eight. I mean, I think one of the first scenes you're in is talking about popping your cherry. So it's like straight into it. It's right. That's the thing. That's it's, but it's that the character doesn't understand it either. So it's, I personally understand it now, but Thurman <laughs> yeah. was still just. Whew. Yeah. Um, IMDb um, saying we're never sure how accurate that is that you had to put on weight to do the second film so was that like your Matthew McConaughey moment grinding it out getting there it was well I think Matthew McConaughey it's a little I think it's a lot less fun when you're going in the other direction yeah I think I had the uh I had to take it off after but that was a lot less under time constraints and kind of go at your own pace where this was I think it was I think I had about three four months in the lead up before we started shooting. So that was kind of just open the floodgates and have whatever <laughs> you want. I think I ended up putting on about 50 or 60 pounds before we started shooting. So Warning. it was uh, hell, it was a hell of a time. Yeah. <laughs> what what an excuse, really. Just I know. And they like they pay for the personal trainer and everything after, so it's like I I feel guilty not gaining more. No. <laughs> What about when it came out the second time around? You're a lot more conscious about how the movie is going to do, how it's received. Was what was it like, kind of the first day it was released? Um, well, I think it's no secret of how it did at the box office. I think it's. Uh, I went so to I see think, it at a cinema. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, so it's. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's not great whenever it kind of flops out of the gate, but. Uh, to be honest, I once we kind of saw it's one of these things where when you're filming something you, and you're in it, you you kind of get wrapped up in it. So it was inevitable that it was never going to hit the same way as the first one. So because it's like we're talking about it 18 years later. I don't know if we're going to be talking about the sequel 18 years later. I don't know if we're going to be talking about it two years from now. But um, so it's not always ideal. But I think. Uh, once you get to opening day, I think you've read some stuff and you've kind of already prepared yourself at that point. So it's kind of a, you lessen the blow over time, but I think the performance of it was not anything that any of us were all too pleased with, but you know, and that's, you take your lumps. Yeah. No chance of bad Santa three then. I don't think it's in the cards. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, hey, I, you would have, if, 10 years ago, after hearing three times that we were going to do Bad Santa 2, I wouldn't have said Bad Santa 2 was going to happen. So you never know. But uh, I think we're I think we going to let that one sit for a little while. <laughs> what, what's the, like, the most common thing for you when people recognize you as being, or more so, the kid from Bad Santa more than the name of the character that you get? Is, is there a kind of frequent interaction you get with that kind of thing? It Well, the... Now I haven't had a haircut in a while. So it's usually <laughs> a lot of times I keep my hair cut short. So if my hair is short, 
not a single word about anything. And then, but if I'm like, I'm don't think I'm going to be getting a haircut anytime soon. So I uh, think this Christmas, if I'm out and about at the grocery store, it's, I'm going to be getting a lot of it, but uh, that's always a nice, like I hear people get like, Oh, they get pestered with coming up. Like, first of all, I'm not getting it enough. And it's when someone comes up to you and says like, it recognizes you from something. I mean, to me, that's just, you've done something good enough that someone's willing to want to talk about it 18 years later. So you always take the time for that and be appreciative of that. But uh, I could definitely see, especially for younger people, like I was, again, like I said, my family kept me pretty grounded. They always willing to knock me down a peg. So I could never get too high on myself, but I could definitely see how that, if you weren't well-equipped to deal with that, especially at a young age, I could see how that could really mess some people up. Like I get how the messed up child star thing, I could totally see that in the certain situation. Yeah. Do, do you like um, Christmas films in general or is it when you flick through the TV guide and you see bad Santa splattered everywhere, do you kind of turn away from it? I like the other Christmas movies. I do like Bad Santa. Like, I don't want to say I don't like Bad Santa. I think it's a great movie. It's just, I don't like watching myself and I've seen it enough at this point. But I do, I love Christmas movies. And uh, I, it's been, I'm trying to think last time I actually watched Bad Santa. Probably right before we shot the sequel was the last time I watched it. So it's not, not exactly an every year viewing for me, but no. <laughs> uh, other, other Christmas movies I enjoy. Is there anything that is an every year viewing for you? The one thing that's ever, not that it's a movie or anything, but the Mr. Bean Christmas special is the one thing <laughs> that I watch probably about five, five times every year when it's on. <laughs> Anytime it's on record, I'll watch it all the time. I was, uh, I was a bit of an out of the box one. That wasn't quite where I thought that was going to go. <laughs> it is mainly old ones though now, isn't it? Like the, the newest one that I've seen more frequently is the night before with, um, Seth Rogen and that's the only one that's really kind of cemented itself as being a newer Christmas film other than that it's going way back to right around the early 2000s yeah it's uh I I think Bad Santa really did kind of start that the whole R-rated Christmas yeah. thing and uh like you said the night before and there's been some that have done it well but uh there's been a lot of copycats that haven't necessarily pulled it off our ourself with the sequel included. So it's, uh, we got accused maybe a little copying ourselves there, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a personally a fan of the old classics though. I like the, uh, all the old cartoons, the Grinch and all Frosty the <laughs> snowman. So I'm pretty basic when it comes to that, but uh, no, yeah, I haven't seen too many of the newer ones. No. Well, I mean, we're not going to release this till a bit um, closer to Christmas. So I've got a hat just to at least we look a bit more Christmassy when it gets released. But uh, <laughs> thank you for giving us your time today. Uh, we do really appreciate it. And um, I saw that, at least if it's correct, it's your birthday today. So um, it, yes, happy it birthday. is my birthday. Thank happy you very birthday. much. Happy birthday too. Thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, yeah. no worries. Hopefully you enjoy your, you. your birthday weekend. I Oh, I will. I can promise you that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Thanks. very much, guys. Nice, mate. Take care. Nice. Bye. Bye.